1: in this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 21st to the 27th of August. I'm Features Editor Ezie Pearson, and I'm joined this week by Reviews Editor Paul Money. Hello, Paul.
0: Hello, Ezzie. I'm looking forward to this week.
1: Oh, do we have some good things coming up? Please do tell us what we've got to look forward to
0: we always have good things but uh, it's always nice to start off with something that's in the evening sky because we do often and and it will happen over the next few weeks there will be things in the morning sky that we have to start the week with but we do we start off in the evening it's one of those things that um although we've got mars is technically in the evening sky but it's so low and so deep into the solar glare now that i really it's not worth trying to search for it it is very very difficult however the moon is a slim crescent on august the 21st we're in early evening twilight and you need to look towards the west southwest horizon about say half an hour after sunset and you'll get the crescent moon and the earth shine uh, that goes along with it as well and if you see that it's worth using binoculars on it and then just casually drift your binoculars to the right and slightly down and you might see the star spiker this is probably the last chance to see that star to be honest because it is dropping into the solar glare and we will actually lose it but i always like it when you've got not just the moon there but there's something else to catch your attention And it is interesting that people like to see stars next to the moon, or in some cases, the planets, as we know, sort of thing. What's that star? It's no star, it's a planet. Well, this one is a star, but deep in the twilight, that's that's the tricky bit. That's why I think binoculars are more likely to see it rather than with the naked eye. So that's uh, the evening, the early evening, nice and convenient for us, sort of thing, half hour after sunset for us to get started this week.
1: It's also very good. The, the moon or, is a great pointer towards things. So if you are learning your way around the night sky, knowing when the moon is going to be near to a, a major star is always a great way to sort of start orientating yourself in the night sky.
0: Yes, it'd be a worry if you can't find the moon. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you if it's like new moon, because <laughs> that, that be an eclipse, wouldn't it? Sort of thing, a solar eclipse sort of thing. But, uh, we'll have to wait until October until we get that sort of eclipse. And it'll only be partial for the UK anyway, but not in America. Ooh, I'll mm. have a good one, but that's for later. Anyway, on August the 22nd, and this really applies for. Most of the week, really. Uh, We've got two of the outer giants now rising earlier, and they're visible. I mean, look around about 10 o'clock in the evenings, uh, roughly sort of like towards the southeast uh, onwards. And what you've got is... Saturn and Neptune, and Saturn is naked eye, so it's in Aquarius. You shouldn't have problem actually spotting that. Uh, I was looking at it the other night, naked eye sort of thing, and uh, it it was later sort of thing, you know, in the night, but it was quite prominent. So you shouldn't be. It's much brighter than all the stars around it, so that's the good clue sort of thing. But Neptune will need large binoculars or a telescope sort of thing because it is a lot fainter, uh, and uh, so it's not naked eye. Unless you've got exceptionally good eyesight and extremely dark skies. But uh, I, I don't know of anybody who's seen Neptune with the naked eye. Uh, but it doesn't mm. take much optical aid. I say a pair of binoculars, because it's usually around about magnitude 7.8, 7.9. So that's well within the range of fifty binoculars easily. So, you know, so we've got these two. And they're rising earlier. And this is in preparation sort of thing for um, Saturn's opposition, which won't be long in another couple of weeks' time as such. So there we are. Now, August the 23rd, and again, it effectively occurs all week. But if you leave it a bit later, say leave it another hour, and amazingly, the other two giant planets come into view Jupiter and Uranus so they're quite late still sort of thing so they'll be very low down roughly in the east northeast but you'll need an uncluttered horizon at 11 o'clock but obviously if you like staying up nights I mean you know you might you might work nights you might come back at midnight or whatever or, or perhaps going to work late you should be able to see them if you've got a clear sky and no, uh, things on the horizon to clutter it, like trees or buildings in most cases. So there we are. So 11 PM onward, they rise with Uranus forming the shallow apex of a triangle with Jupiter and the Pleiades, Messier 45. Oh, winter's well and truly on the way now. <laughs> <laughs> I know people are still having summer holidays towards the end and the kids will soon be going back, but, uh, For us astronomers, we can't wait for those dark skies. And and August traditionally sees us that transition between Mm. the the summer nights and finally getting proper darkness for an hour or two uh, during August. So, uh, you know, that's when we start getting excited about the sky getting dark again. Now, the 24th, we're still in the evening sky and... A little earlier, about half past nine. Now I'm talking about half past nine because it's the end of twilight, really. So the sky will be a little bit light, but it will be anyway because you're looking for the moon and the first quarter moon lies just to the right of Antares. Now Antares is a lot brighter than Spiker. And the thing about it is that this is in a darker sky. Whereas we had the moon next to Spiker in bright twilight. This time it's in the, towards the end of the twilight. So be a lot more prominent, but it is around about the la- the first quarter phase of the moon. So the moon looks like it's chopped in half. Sort of mm. thing. So, uh, you know, it's bit, I always think it looks quite funny when you see it chopped in half like that, but you want to be looking towards the southwest horizon and uh, the moon is effectively in the main front part of Scorpius itself and say to the right of Antares, and if you do have a look at it, have a look with binoculars and just note the colour of Antares. It's an orangey red star, sort of Mm. thing. One of the classics as such.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Antares, and along with Betelgeuse as well, or Betelgeuse, um, the two big red giants that you can quite clearly see in the night sky. So definitely keep an eye out for that one.
0: Interestingly. You have a job to see them both at the same time. In fact, physically, you can't see them both at the same time. Exactly. It's a nice point that, of course, the, the, the story of Scorpius and uh, and uh, Orion is that the Scorpion uh, bit Orion. Uh, yes. So they decided to separate uh, Orion and Scorpius. So Orion's literally 180 degrees away from Scorpius. So They, they never can meet. Never the twain can meet. <laughs> when one's coming up, the other one's going down. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now finally at the end of week on sunday saturn is at opposition now when we talk about opposition saturn is at opposition, and it means it's opposite the sun in the sky so funny enough we just talked about sort of like orion and scorpius and when one sets the other rises this is almost you could say scorpius is in opposition to uh uh sort of like uh, orion uh in the winter and in the summer orion is at opposition to scorpius you could argue that <laughs> <laughs> but it means as the sun sets, Saturn will rise. It is opposite the sky and it's visible all night now, which is really great. Now, if you use binoculars on Saturn, there is a hint that it is elongated. It's very tiny, but your binoculars are not wrong because obviously, if you look at stars and they're elongated, you've got a problem with your binoculars.
1: Yeah, you probably
0: want to get those checked out. <laughs> That's a good out. clue, is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So look at the other stars, make sure they're nice dots sort of thing, pointed at Saturn. And if Saturn looks elongated, you're actually seeing the effect of the rings. Now, enjoy that while you can, because over the next few years, the rings are steadily closing up. And so there will come a point whereby Saturn will be without rings for a short period, which is always uncanny and weird. Mm. Also, makes the planet appear a lot fainter because it's surprising how much light the rings put out, reflect back, and boost up the brightness of the planet. So, if you use a telescope, you can zoom in, of course, on the planet. It is well getting well placed now to observe, and it's higher up the ecliptic. We've already mentioned it's in Aquarius, so this is much better than it was just a few years ago when it was down in Sagittarius and you're in the murk of the low atmosphere uh, and it didn't rise very high. So planetary images are now getting better images of Saturn because it's a lot better place. I, I can't wait to have a go myself. So I need it to just get into the right position with all the shrubbery from the neighbours, etc. <laughs> uh, sort of thing, you know. I have to pick my moment, you know, <laughs> and time it to perfection. <laughs> but there we are. If we get Saturn, look at it with a telescope. Um, the bigger the telescope, the more moons you'll see, binoculars technically can show you Titan. Now, that particular evening, about 10 o'clock on the 27th, Titan... Now, if you're using binoculars, it'll be to the left of Saturn. But in most telescopes, the image will be flipped. So it'll actually be on the right-hand side. But Titan is almost at its furthest away from Saturn in this particular... When it's almost lined up with the ring system, sort of thing. So you follow a line through the planet, through the rings, off, you actually find it's close to its point on the side, so it's on the east side of Saturn at the moment. Now, use the magnification of the telescope. bigger the telescope, the more moons you'll see. So there's quite a few. There's Rhea, Tethys, Dione and Iapetus are the ones that I usually see on a regular basis. But a bigger telescope might pick out Mimas, Enceladus and uh, even Hyperion. I've seen, I find Hyperion better when um, it's close to Titan, because Titan then guides you to it. Just like (laughs) you use the moon. It's the same principle. I mean, use things that are brighter to guide you to fainter targets. But now Saturn is at its best sort of thing. I think that's a great way to the end of the week, isn't it? We've got Saturn at its best, now rising and visible all night. For those who like to stay up, of course, all night.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, We actually have a guide uh, because another way if you want to try and see some of those moons, if you perhaps don't have a bigger telescope, is you can also do some astrophotography. Um, Do a nice long exposure and that brings out some of the the, the moons. And we have a guide on how to do that in our August issue. Um, So you can look back at that. Or on the website, I will put a link to that in the description down below. But uh, I'm not actually... Because both Saturn and Jupiter have a lot of moons. I It's quite hard to keep track because they keep adding new ones. And so they keep overtaking each other for which has the most. Um, and a lot of those moons are... It's, it's a lump of rock that's going around the planet. Um, some of them are only a couple of kilometres across, I think, even. But yes, I think the fact that you can see these tiny things orbiting another planet
0: at such a huge distance is, is always fascinating to me. It's interesting, isn't it, that with astrophotography, mm. we are now getting to a stage where we can pick up. I mean, the, the newly discovered ones really need a massive telescope. So, you know, it is, it is Hubble usually that there's, does that. But, there's you know, a reason
1: we've only just discovered them. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So, uh, but a lot of the ones that have been known for a while, it's surprising with astrophotography how amateurs are now beginning to pick up these fainter, some of the fainter moons. So, mm. I mean, traditionally we would say for Saturn around about eight or nine moons, uh, and that's the maximum you could probably double that now with amateur astrophotography sort of thing and the same goes for jupiter a lot of the fainter ones you have to know where to look but uh, you know it's, a, it's surprising what you can actually see now um but well visually if you've got a large telescope you're all right Sort so of, you might be able to pick out one or two of the faint ones but photographies totally change things aren't it? Yeah. they're so sensitive these cameras
1: i think especially is as, as we are going forward into a period where because the moons of everybody talks about the moons of jupiter and the Galilean moons. But nobody ever really sort of seems to talk about the fact that you can see the ones around Saturn as well, because they get a bit overshadowed by the rings. And as we're moving into a period where the rings aren't going to be as good, uh, maybe it's the chance to to not just forget Saturn entirely, but but pay a bit more attention to to the moons going around it instead. I think that would be a nice little project for people if they feel like something over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, um, and with the rings closing up, there isn't as much light. So the inner ones, Mimas and Enceladus, are always difficult because of the glare from the rings. So when you're doing the imaging, the rings burn out and they burn out, and burning out means it expands. The image area is expanded, so it covers usually Mimas and Enceladus, whereas as the rings aren't putting out as much light now because they're closing up, it becomes easier to see Mimas and Enceladus. So uh, I'm looking forward to that because I have imaged them, but they're really tricky because they're so close to the rings themselves.
1: Uh, And of course, if anybody at home does manage to take any good pictures of Saturn or any of the other planets or or things that we've talked about today, please do feel free to send them into the magazine. We, you can find the details of how to do that on the website. We print the best ones in the magazine every month. So hopefully we'll get to see yours soon. But thank you very much for taking us through that week, Paul. Thank you. So to quickly resummarize those. On the 21st of August, the crescent moon will be near to the star speaker, so a great chance to be able to find that. Then on the 24th, Antares and the half moon will be together if you want to try and capture those. Throughout the week in the evening sky, we'll have all four gas giants, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune will be visible at some point throughout the night. But on the 27th, that is the date that you want to put in your diary because that is when Saturn is going to reach opposition and it will be visible throughout the night. So lots of things to be getting on with this week. And hopefully if you want to find out what's going on next week, do join us for the next episode of Star Diary. Goodbye and hopefully we'll see you then. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky this month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for throughout the whole month. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify.